Hello and welcome to another episode of Disney's Follies, the show where we tackle uh, pretty much the cornerstone of Disney mythology, the full-length animated features, mm-hmm. one by one, and then generally just try to have as much fun as we can here. We're recording live from Austin. I'm Ryan, and this is my sister-in-law, Justine. Hi! We gotta tell you folks out there, you may think so far that we're experts, we're full of this, all this knowledge and stuff, but I want to tell you, we, we love to visit... Uh, uh, Justine and uh, in in Austin, and we we had a, a, the privilege of doing a trivia night that was a Disney themed trivia night. Mm-hmm. In one of the many fine bars and establishments in Austin, and we uh, yeah. had a rocking good time. We we went in guns blazing. We really thought we'd do well. We did. And did we? No. No. We came in about eight. Now, that's still a respectable thing at about 28. It was 25-ish or something. But it, like, it reinforces how many people our age, there's a lot of folks our age, and a lot of people with beards, and a lot of just, I mean, everyone was, like, having a good time, but, like... uh, This was back in, like, October. It was. It was. But I I was so surprised how many people know Mm. all this stuff, all this marginalia. It's, like, second nature. Yeah. Got a shout out too. Like some of the names of the, of the teams were great. I remember, well, the one that always sticks with me is Boozits and, and Effits Galore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm still trying to tread that the parental advisory line. And what's the other one? Bibbidi Bob? I don't know. We'll see. Now I'm not doing some, it justice. There were some funny ones, but yes. it was good. But my point is what it reinforced is how many people our age, you know, basically the Disney children of that, that pivotal yeah. moment when they solidified their empire. And yeah. it's amazing how. how much people know about it, but I just, I think of all the VHS cassettes we had and, mm-hmm. um, you know, we had all of them from the different, we didn't know what was new and what wasn't. I had Dumbo next to, you know, Aladdin. Sure. Yeah. Um, now you said the movie that we're discussing today, Fantasia, that you and, uh, yeah. you and your sis, uh, they, we, uh, I remember watching it a lot as kids and it's a long movie too. Yeah. So I feel like we probably fast forwarded through ones. We and just, what, what do you kids. remember loving about it? I think I just liked how it was cool that there was, that it was just music and pictures. I didn't need like words to tell a story. Yeah. I hadn't seen the Nutcracker until, uh, two years ago when I went mm-hmm. with um, school and it, I was like, oh, this isn't, this isn't what you're supposed to do. <laughs> like, there's no mushrooms. What is this? Well, that's the thing. I've never yeah. seen the Nutcracker, and I honestly, I'm fine. I like the Disney version. What's something that occurred to me while watching the fact that um, this is the only opportunity people had, the first opportunity they had, and one of the few opportunities they have to actually see a ballet performed by, or a number of ballets, because there are at least two in the film, oh, performed yeah. by creatures and, you know, things that shouldn't Animals. be animate and all that. Exactly. We're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Fantasia. And now, now one of the woodwinds, a flute. Very pretty. 1940, the yes. third full-length animated feature. Mm. And at this point, we still see Disney, like, gambling away the empire he keeps increasingly building, but it's still right. not the empire he has, to make just stuff that's completely artistically focused. Yeah. Just all about, like, you know, expanding the parameters of animation. He was very ambitious with this. So Fantasia actually wasn't as big of a hit as he no, wanted it to it was be. A, it was a flop. It was kind so of a flop. No. However... Just like the camera, the multiplane camera that he invented mm-hmm. and patented and they Snow used White for Snow White and, and mm-hmm. the sideways one for Pinocchio. They use that and there's different clips that he uses that technology still on the screen. But he also kind of worked on something that he then called Fanta, Fanta Sound. Yes. Which is almost, I'm assuming, what is it, more like a, a surround sound for the theater? It's sort of like a primitive. The, the interesting thing about Fantasia is for this experience, you, you see Walt saying, I don't want to be confined by the limits of the screen. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be defined by the limits of any, confined by the limits of any conventions here. So basically, not only, yeah, he, you're right, he expands beyond the cinema, cinematographic thing and, and essentially creates 
a sound system that, yes, it is similar to a surround okay, system okay. that pioneers a crazy amount of things in terms of recording technology. Right. However, in 1940, most theaters did not have no. that set up. And so he had to travel around with something called a road show. And so they had to, like, kind of set up traveling, set up these, these this equipment to like show the movie. It was like a whole big experience. And yeah. he wanted it to be kind of like a symphony where, cause, because it was a special event, you had to get a ticket. Mm. And it was like a concert that you were going to. See, and it looked like a pretty, a pretty interesting way to, to do it. Like, I mean, yeah. nowadays, a limited release like that would be insane. You'd be traveling to wherever that was going. But wouldn't it. it be Nowadays, you never have things where there are these the big like presentational experiences yeah, I and mean, most do. theaters can't well I you mean, can have big events like that I mean well big events but I mean like where like you have like wacky like I mean I think of like when you go back to silent films and people like playing the piano on the side you know what I mean oh, it's like yes. okay, where it's this true. kind of more immersive experience I know that Quentin Tarantino is like oh you're watching it in this special millimeter you know whatever but we don't have you know innovative sound systems and we don't need them now but sure. um so but that's kind of why it didn't do as well because it didn't yeah. get to reach as many people then also it's 1940 those of you who know even a smidge of history not the greatest time for maybe American uh, things. Something going on. Something, something going big on. going on. Yeah, exactly. It's pricing certain styles of being and entertainment out of existence. Yeah, and not just that, and then like just things not going over to certain markets. And right. Kind of right. killing the budget, or not the budget, killing the profits. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, let's not do as well. And he was, I was kind of bummed about it. He he wanted this to be a lot better. He had grand plans of kind of doing this every year. And I think the unsuccessful nature of it when it was first released kind of halted that. Yeah, um, which is a shame. But yes, how it got started. It was 1938 and he, he, um, he wanders into a restaurant and he's got... I guess juggling, well, you know, the, uh, the Silly Symphonies were, that was the sort of the umbrella that most of the Mickey Mouse cartoons were being mm-hmm. made under, right? And it's, uh-huh. you know, mostly sort of musical, it's just like early silent stuff. you got music and you have action. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Walt has a burgeoning interest in, I guess, classical music. One day in 1938 in California, wanders into a restaurant and meets... Uh, Lee, is it, oh gosh, I've just learned this name, is Leopold Stokowski, yes. who was the uh, conductor for... Can we just call him Leo? We can call him Leo Thank the whole you. time. So Leo, his big gig, was a two-decade stint as the conductor for, I believe it's the, Phil- it's the Philadelphia. Yeah, and he was kind of a big deal conductor, probably one of the, I like mean... Very innovative. Probably the only one from this, the past hundred years that was kind of like... Right, right. I mean, he had that kind of like Toscanini rep and stuff like that. And he, and the, basically, I, I've heard these names, I'm not particularly into classical music. I'm more into popular music, but I am aware that, you know, a lot of the early best-selling classical music recordings were by these big orchestras. They're called, you know, we've heard of the Boston Pops and there's the New York Philharmonic. So there was a big, there was a big five, basically. Mm -hmm. Philadelphia Orchestra is one of them. uh, Leo is the... uh, is the conductor of the um, Philadelphia Orchestra for about two decades. And he, he was very innovative in that. And he's an eccentric. Actually, his origin is very interesting because he was not uh, a foreigner necessarily. Well, I mean, he, he was not um, – he's got this very Eastern European name, but he's born, I believe, in London. Oh. Um, and then he, he moves to America, up and coming, you know, student of classical music and all that. Sure. He meets this woman from Galveston, Texas. Oh, hey. Who is masquerading – I believe she's a teacher, a music teacher. And she's hmm. sort of masquerading in this Eastern European – Guys, so she can get more like attention and create oh like God. a mythos, That's and so, so she funny. encourages him, like uh, emphasize your Polish roots, oh. and like be the, so he created this persona. That's so cool. In October 1912, Stokowski moved to the Philadelphia Orchestra. It was here in the Academy of Music that he began one of the great conducting careers of the 20th century. He was just 30 years old, 
and was about to introduce to America a new kind of personalized conducting, setting a style to prevail for many years. The most interesting thing I read about him is that he, he forwent the baton, yeah. which is not something I knew you could do, but you see it in Fantasia. He basically would use his hands in a more kind of expressive and particular way to elicit sounds from, from the orchestra. Yeah. But and, so, yeah, and you told me that while we were watching it. Right. So I definitely noticed his... It's cool. His, his fingers. Like, his silhouette is very, like, you know, engaged. It's, it's, yes. it's, and get the eccentricities. It's cool. So anyway, in 1938, yeah. uh, Walt wanders into a restaurant with him. And uh, so what was on Walt's mind again? Is, I think um, that he had wanted to make a full length of The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Mm-hmm. Um, that short that's in this movie. That was the original, To a fuller yeah, score. And I think they got to talking about music and animation working together. And they were both super jazzed about the idea. Indeed. I no think actually intended. even... Um, it's not a wit of jazz in the movie. No. I think he actually even wrote, he wrote the song for Sorcerer's Apprentice pretty much for free, right? He was just like, yeah, I'll do it. Well, it must have been the arrangement because the Sorcerer's Apprentice is based on a piece um, from the 19th century. It is, it is, but it I is thought it was based on a poem. Well, it is based on a poem. Oh, okay. But it's it's a piece from the 19th century based on a poem Let's from the see. late 18th. Oh, like Goethe. Yeah. Have I got any Paul Ducasse? I looked him up. I've never heard of Paul Ducasse. Some of the composers in the movie you'll have heard of. Some you won't. Paul uh-huh. Ducasse is one of them. And he's like late 19th century or something like that. But what was cool about that, oh, I know okay. they, they went and they did a session for Sorcerer's Apprentice. And Stokowski comes in. And they bring in the orchestra, and this is a cool thing. Like the recording techniques I was talking about that Fantasia pioneered. So this is the very first time they use. I think they're called like bafflers. It's it's a partition that is used in pretty much every studio situation where you know where you separate instruments. I mean, you know, you have like separate rooms now, and a lot of state of the art studios have been that way for a while. But um, the sound kind of to, to, to isolate the individual sounds for tracks, so there was no bleed through on the instruments. You got hundreds of orchest- orchestral players in there, or maybe like you know nearing a hundred, mm-hmm. and um, they're set up in this way. And I remember the featurette we watched. They say they they did the session from midnight to three. Oof. Because like something about like the special alertness you get to, I think they were trying to create like a like a fantasy state for their their musicians. <laughs> but what happened was they recorded the session for the Sorcerer's Apprentice, and it was so expensive, paying Stokowski the conductor and paying the musicians that they couldn't recoup the costs with just a single subject. They had to expand it to this big feature production, mm-hmm. and that's how. Fantasia got started. Yeah, and so Walt and Leo would look around. I think they picked out the music kind of together. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the few instances Walt let someone else have a little bit of control. One of the the few instances, too, where his ego was um, outmatched by the person he was working (laughs) with. Um, Mickey Mouse has a moment in the middle of the movie where he goes up and he shakes his hand. And later, Stokowski would be like, well, Mickey Mouse got to beat me. That sort of thing. Like, that kind of thing. But he said he did Fantasia because he liked the music that they picked. Yeah. Um, so let's go to the music. Mm-hmm. Um, the first piece is by it's a Bach. Bach. Piece, yeah. Do you want to do it? Toccata and Fugue. Now, this is one you've heard. It's that one that starts very ominously. Which, you know, may know from Fantasia, or you may know because you're a student of music. But, um... You know, it's one of the kind of, it's very, like, good Halloween music. Yeah, and this one's kind of just, like, the intro. It kind of reminds me of the beginning of West Side Story, when, like, mm-hmm. the, the painting of the of Manhattan kind of, like, comes into focus. Yeah. So it's just kind of a more abstract. This yeah. is probably one that we fast-forwarded. You know, we, okay. <laughs> but it looks cool because it's, like, the string, like, you hear strings and then you see strings. And so it's kind of getting you, it's prepping you for, like, this is going to be following the music. This animation's going to be telling the story. Get to the heart of the matter real quick while we're on this particular one. Fantasia. The the big Fantasia question 
is, is it boring? <laughs> is it, is it so consciously artistic that in a given moment you space out? Okay. I mean, you alluded well, to that. We were yes. very tired we when were we watched tired. it. I don't know why. It's by random happenstance. I mean, you apparently yeah. were very entertained as kids, and I can see it. Yeah, no, we watched this movie all the time as kids. And like, what is nice is you can kind of like go to your favorites and watch those. That's true. I feel like that's true. The I feel like it definitely you definitely need to sit down and watch it. But if you find yourself getting a little sleepy, maybe finish that <laughs> segment and then pause it and then watch other ones. I mean, it's a beautiful movie. Yeah, it's a beautiful movie. And that first sequence, I mean, certainly. We I just don't remember that one as much right. when I was from when I was younger. And Actually, other ones more, I do. We talked a lot in the last couple episodes about color usage. Oh yeah, and the other movie. So I mean, if we're talking about color usage, this one is amazing. It like kind of outdoes itself. I mean, this mm-hmm. first uh, this first sequence. But it, that one's a nice. It's a nice intro for it. It's it's calming too. I feel like this didn't work, but he wanted to make this such an experience as a moviegoer that he tried to do his. Smellicizers that he has at the parks now that's, that's like right. the scents so a, se- a different scent for each segment and the only reason he didn't do that is because they couldn't figure out how to clear the scents before the next one so <laughs> he really wanted this to kind of be like a show he yeah. was really kind of and I think ahead of his time way. I mean the way that the uh, the conductor comes on and the the uh, uh, musicians slowly move on to the stage yeah it's very I don't know it's as if you're attending a real concert and maybe that's why I liked it so much as a kid it just felt like I'm I, I'm seeing a play or I'm right. seeing a concert what's is cool we should talk a little bit more about the fantasy sound because some of the things I learned that were totally pioneered um, I mean not just like the idea of putting like sonic separators between musicians mm. pan sound now as you know um i don't know well no i mean just like stereo sound oh, okay. doesn't really come into a thing until the mid 50s sure. so here we are yeah. in 1940 and this was the first time they developed a sound system where you could hear the spectrum from left to right oh. of sound oh, okay. and so like this was this was the this was a primitive like you look online and this is the first instance of people actually experimenting with doing that now oh. as to the technology of it we'd have to bring in an expert i don't know how they did it but it, it it's like that just drives home how how much he wanted to put you there yeah like you had said i do think that some segments take more liberties with being artistic yes like overtly artistic mm-hmm. here is a like a museum artistic you know what i mean mm-hmm. that first mm-hmm. sequence is the one that's yes. like that for sure i agree I and mean, it's still nice but it's I pretty that's the one i'm probably as a child fast forwarded through you know one of the nine old men said i think it was ollie johnson johnston yes was it johnson or johnston you can write us in and tell us uh disney's follies at gmail.com oh, yeah. but um he said that you know fantasia basically it was a flop, like we said. It had little resurgences yeah. going into into history. In the 60s and 70s, what do you think happened? If you've seen Fantasia. <laughs> going into the 60s, what I know is that around the time that recreational drug culture sort of became, you know, a staple of American history, mm-hmm. Fantasia happened to be in theaters. It was one of those reissues, like 67 or something. And Ollie Johnson said he would go to college classes and they would be like, what were you on? <laughs> what were you guys doing at the time? And the answer, of course, is nothing. They were doing nothing. They were... This was all pure inspiration. Yeah, they were just listening to the music over and over and kind of just letting it take them. This was one of the few times that Disney was just like, was not as particular about all the colors and mm-hmm. overseeing everything. He's like, no, you do what kind of the music is telling you. If you want to make a green centaur lady, make her green. Yeah. The second piece, mm-hmm. the most popular probably, is the Nutcracker Suite. Mm-hmm. And 
that one, it kind of picks different music from the Nutcracker, right? Different selections from the score. It's prob- yeah, yeah. It's a, so it's this one is kind of like five into one. So it does a dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy, does the Chinese dance with the mushrooms, dance of the flutes with the, is that the sexy fish one? It may be. Oh, yes. Or so the reappearance Arabian- of Cleo. Yeah. We well, were wondering why. Why are fish so sexy? Yeah. In these two movies, they two like, in a row, you have these vixen like goldfish. And it's like, okay, <laughs> that's an interesting angle <laughs> to take. And maybe it's just because we're watching. I would have thought back. nothing of it if it had just been in Pinocchio. But when, when Cleo basically pops up again, you're like. Maybe he disliked Cleo a lot. Or, or maybe it's Arabian Dances with Cleo. I don't remember. I'm sorry. If we have any Simpsons fans, there's a tie-in there. One of the classic episodes. But I'm not going to go down that alley. People don't do that type of thing with fish. Yes. Nutcracker you it. mentioned something. Uh, the Russian dance, which my sister said was probably her favorite one. And then oh, Waltz yes. of the Flowers, which I think was mine because that that goes from fall to sun, to winter. And I just like the little winter snow, fairy snowflake ladies. You can definitely imagine being a young you or young uh, Aaron mm-hmm. uh, watching that stuff and just being entranced by yeah. by the movement of these of these objects. Yeah. I'm probably usually... put it on. I'll probably like rewind, put it on again. Four yeah. hours. It's captivating. And this sequence is, is really quite captivating. It, this one's probably, I mean, my favorite. Like I said, i seen this at a, just recently in the proper form, and I did not like it as much. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Where was that, that you went to see a, pro- a production? Uh, of at, the, at the Zach. No, at the, not at the Zach. At the um, Palmer. Okay. Is that, no, is that the right name for it? I don't know. I don't, I don't know even it. know where these places are. Um, what's cool is the first two selections of the movie are, are by, these are these are basically famous pieces. A couple of the mm-hmm. pieces are more obscure. Sure. Um, Tchaikovsky's an interesting guy. He's very moody uh, 19th century Russian composer. Um, and what did you tell me about Nutcracker Suite? With um, well, one, I found out that he hated it. Yeah. He was absolutely, it was, it was received very poorly when it was premiered. Uh, another of the pieces that we'll get to was like this, but this, this one was, was known as a little bit insipid. And also it's interesting. Um, interpretive dance, I guess, in terms of musical production back then was still kind of closer to its infancy than we would think in oh. the 19th century. And so when you have interpretive ballet, you have critics in the 19th century going, well, I don't understand what's going on. Oh, what's I this in a Russian accent? All the time. Well, there you go. The, my favorite thing that I told you about Tchaikovsky, which is the tidbit mm-hmm. I think that is most survived about Tchaikovsky, the trivia, is that um, he used to hold his head while conducting because he was worried it would fall off. He had a pathological fear of that. <laughs> He was a troubled soul, but the music doesn't really betray that. It's very no. flowery. Yeah, flowery. Like there you go. And he Walt picked up on that. Yeah, he did. Uh, the next one, probably the most famous one, yeah, from good one. the Sorcerer's Apprentice. That has Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse was kind of declining in popularity during mm-hmm. this time in the 40s. I mean, he first kind of appeared in 20, 27, I believe. And he was kind of losing a little bit of his popularity. And I don't know how early on. Walt wanted Dopey to be kind of the right. apprentice in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. And then I think he decided to give his... Um, it all started with a mouse, a shot at a movie, and mm-hmm. put him in this. A um, good move, I think. A yeah. So, a lot more photogenic. Probably the most classic. He's the apprentice. He's tired of filling up the water. He bewitches a broomstick. The broomstick kind of takes over, and Mickey almost drowns. And the sorcerer, Yen Sid, which is Disney backwards... <laughs> 
<laughs> is how creative. Um, he was also some eyebrow raising that he did was apparently also modeled after Wolf. I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting. I knew that his name Dian said. I kind of like that was back in my mind, but I didn't realize the eyebrow thing was modeled after something that. Walt has was seen doing in the office. <laughs> he has very expressive eyebrows um, when you see him in clips. And My, this is probably the yeah. one that the parks reference the most. I don't right. think anything else the is referenced in the parks. Blue so hats. The blue hat that was at MGM um, Hollywood Studios was in front. It's not there anymore. Um, Fantasia, or I'm sorry, Fantastic, Fantasmic, Fantasmic. That's right. The, the fireworks epic show. fireworks show again at Hollywood Studios. And I think that's it. I don't think it's a whole lot else anywhere in the parks. There is the Fantasia golf course, which I've never done, and I've always wanted to do the mini golf course. But it I think, makes sense that limited representation. There's no character to hinge it off of. There's well, but, no like but, consistent but, but setting. That, but that being said, that sorcerer's hat is like it's everywhere. That's everywhere. That's like kind of you iconic. Put it on so, if you visited the thing in one yeah, of the shops. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so yes, let me see. It's at the Hollywood Studios, the mini golf thing, which looks like a little cute mini golf course. So, and then Disneyland Paris for the 20th anniversary, um, Mickey walked around in his Sorcerer's Apprentice outfit. So other than that, that's kind of it where you would find this one in the parks. However, there's a nighttime show about it almost all the time. So mm-hmm. or that's based off of a it. Fun show. Really fun show. It's a, I, I, I like it's delightful. I, when he pops up there at the end, oh it's magic. <laughs> And he's wearing this, and he gets to There's a great little bop dance. It's, it's terrific. Cute. It's cute. My thing. favorite thing about the Sorcerer's Apprentice sequence is learning and realizing, I mean, I should have picked up on this, that, that this is the debut of um, the whites of Mickey's eyes. Oh, yeah. Being clearly delineated. Yes. Apparently, back in the day, the big gap, it wasn't just little dots. They were supposed to be his pupils. And, and, and it just, it's, it's, it is weird to watch Mickey in early incarnations when... Those dot eyes make him a little less, like, personable. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, the soul is much more visible when you include the whites yes. in animation. They kind of changed Mickey Mouse's eyes, and that's kind of like the Mickey Mouse we know him as today. You know what didn't even occur to me is the fact that Pinocchio, then, has those kinds of eyes. And Geppetto and Doc and Dopey before Mickey does. That that well, he's doing that, because that's the Disney eye. Yeah. That's like the, the big, cute, you know, you got the iris, you got the pupil. Mm-hmm. Um, to think of how long Mickey actually went without that eye is kind of kind of strange yeah yeah so the next one is right of spring yes the stravinsky piece, the famous stravinsky piece which one which one was this one? Oh, um with the dinosaurs oh what an interesting thing Do you know that about? That so long. Do you remember when I joked when we were watching I think the this movie? This is one that made me sleepy. Well, well sure. Well, the dinosaur's moving so slowly oh and lethargically. But do you remember when she's falling asleep right now? Oh. Throw some cold water. Splash! But uh, do, do, do you remember when I joked that when um, Walt Disney set up Fantasia that people fainted because it was too intense for them? Yeah. That literally happened when the Rite of Spring was premiered in 1913. Oh, because of all the volcano things at the beginning. No, no, the, the piece of music. Oh, oh, 1913. I'm so sorry. No, no, of course, no, of course, no. Really? Yes, because if you listen to it, we take for granted that it was only really recently that people started including, like, dissonant, strange, ugly sounds in music. And the Rite of Spring has those bursts of, like, a bump, bump, you know, there's these very, like, and so... You know, the sounds are perfectly keyed to the volcanoes. Um, but, the, no, literally during the premiere, as the famous thing about Rite of Spring is that people like were, were like in shock. Like people were literally fainting because of the wow. content of the music. So it's oh, interesting wow. how, you know, how far, because that was 1913. It's not too far away from 1940. 
Um, no, it's not. By then, it's a classic. And Stravinsky was one of those um, great 20th century was he living in composers. Still? Yeah, Stravinsky, okay. I think, died in like the 70s or 80s. I wonder how he felt Picasso. about his piece being like this. Well, it was, that's the funny thing. I was about to say, this is one of the first dinosaur cartoons. Actually, we, we know this, that the first cartoon was Gertie the Dinosaur. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Windsor McKay in 1914 is yeah. a dinosaur. So dinosaurs have a long history in cartoons. These dinosaurs are very realistic. Yeah, they are. And um, one of the animators, oh, I'm sorry, one of the mm. people in the documentary, he wouldn't work on it while he was there. He, he was started he working out? with the company afterwards. <laughs> no, he was saying that he remembers in science class them rolling out the cart and putting on this section for hmm. the dino- to learn about dinosaurs. Oh wow! Like this was the that's how they learned how they looked and ate and moved around was from this sequence from Fantasia. I've always been obsessed with like I mean obviously as a kid dinosaurs you couldn't get away yeah, from no, them. No, Colin but, like, knew all the names of the dinosaurs, but right. not the names of the saints. And one of his grandmothers was very. That's kind of that's that, that's that's horrible. That's almost like worshiping like pagan idols. It's like who is this Stegosaurus that you know? But but dinosaurs are so interesting that like what I mean they were the they were identified and classified for the first time in the 19th century. For mm-hmm. years, people thought it was dragon bones or giant bones, or they didn't know what exactly they were looking at. Oh yeah, yes. um, I never thought about the first I, person to find a dinosaur. I want to. I want to have experienced the shock of learning that the world was inhabited by giant lizards. You know, yeah. millions of years before we were around. I never thought about that. It's it's like mind blowing. It was a very tragic story because, of course, they all they get, all die. They all get global warming t- to death, basically. So it's yeah, a nice when little it's so hot and that brontosaurus like years. puts his neck up to the sun and his head is right there. It's tragic. That's what it feels like in Austin in summer. That's the. Whole, that's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly I was like, right. I get that dinosaur. Although it's oddly frigid. Maybe right that's now. why it made me tired. I was like, oh, this is making me hot. I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> yes, you're so wrapped up in the feelings. I of the felt dinosaurs. like the dinosaur. That's a real uh, the land before time. Basically, probably yeah. got the whole that, thing from that. Is that a Disney? No, that's Don Bluth. Good. We'll get to Don Bluth about like fifteen episodes Don from Bluth. now. Yeah, he did American Tale. He did Anastasia. Those which aren't Disney Fantasia. movies. No, they, that's Don Bluth. So we're not going to get to him. Well, because he worked on one of the Disney movies that oh. we'll eventually do an episode on and defected. Oh, and for a very brief <gasps> oh. moment, I know which movie, and I know that it was a well, movie. It'll be a surprise the, for exactly. me too, folks. So hang on with us for another Spoiler. 36 Spoiler. weeks or whatever it takes us to do it. But wow. in any case, I mean, you know, because it's, um, it's Fox and the Hound. That's, that's the one we're oh. going to talk about. That's a long way into the oh, future. Oh. It's 41 years from now. I feel like that's going to make me too sad. Well. I've never seen it. It's manipulative. Anyway, with the dinosaurs, so the dinosaurs die. Uh, what I, I want to shout out the one cute little dinosaur that's got this like boxy face that keeps walking around, has this cute little business. Walt was always very good at giving his his creatures business. I mean, yeah. he's master of the silent animation. He, did, he is. He's yeah. very good. He's so, very good. And then there's an intermission because he wanted this again to feel like a, a real show. Thing. And so <laughs> it's like there will now be a 15 and that's actually only where the title is. So the Pinocchio and Snow White had a book. Mm-hmm. There's no opening title. There's that's the conductor right. coming up and then there's this in the there's middle. There's a title card in the in middle. middle. We so, wondered if it would last for 15. Luckily no, the DVD it, makers allow you to, you know, just kind of skip through it. Yeah. While we have an intermission before we talk about the intermission sequence, shall oh, yes. we get to the drink segment sure. of our Now, it is an unusual uh, day for Disney's Follies, but I mean it wouldn't be Disney's Follies if there wasn't some folly involved. <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, so that was good. So we watched uh, we watched it yesterday, and we were recording the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we it's were watching it... It's a long movie, and we had reservations. Yeah, Go ahead. We, we we're did. in Austin. 
Yeah, so, we got yeah. things to do. Yeah. Um, so we had French 75s. And the reason I picked that, because champagne kind of feels fancy. And Fantasia sounds like a fancy word. I'm sure plenty of people were still drinking champagne in 1940. And 1940, Unless, we uh, one, of the co- one of the popular drinks was a French 75. And that has champagne and gin and lemon juice. And we had all those things. But I must say, listeners in Radioland, I was just bum-fuzzled by the fact that they didn't have a cocktail called the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah. Does that not strike you as something that would have been invented? So any mixologist who listen to this, invent that. Invent it. Yeah. Disney fans will drink it. Yeah. We'll re-record this episode and drink oh, that. Maybe what you're thinking of, maybe during the trivia night, there was themed drinks. Maybe that's what you were thinking of. Oh, maybe. Maybe there one of the were themed sort. drinks. So yeah. there were some oh, themed were so drinks sugary. when we went to that trivia night. Mm-hmm. They were very sugary. Mm-hmm. But um, maybe one of them was the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Maybe that's what you're thinking of. Oh, gosh. That I wish I'd have the title title card. It's still a great cocktail name. Yeah. It's still one that they had plenty of time to I do. I think a broom should be in it. So an intermission. That would be great. <laughs> Little brooms like in the a, thing. The, you stir it with that. Yeah. stir. That's the it just brushes the, the ingredients that's around. That's the swizzle stick. A base of spice, and you brush it with a broom, mm-hmm. and then you, and you do it. You can add some sugar. Like, you can add water. Like, yeah. You can have it be like a splash of water. Exactly. You can pour it out all over the house and what make your it, wizard it, boss mat. Yeah. Which should yeah, be should, like the it liquor? Should, it should come with an eye. Gosh. Let's, we should, should it be like red or now. red and blue? Like, should it be one of those layered things? Because Well, how do you get red and blue? You get blue curacao. How do you get red? I mean, right. Like, pastechoed bitters, right? For like Sazeracs? I don't know. And how do those mix? I don't know. We're getting into we're getting beyond the pale here. Anyway, so they have this little cute quote unquote jam session that seems very staged, but it's it's whimsical enough. Yeah, um, some you know the, somebody the bassist starts doing a walking boogie woogie bass, and it's nineteen forties. <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, 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 this day class a rhythm and blues music, and they start doing like a Benny Goodman clarinet, yeah, the, and then the orchestra characters. Because um, yeah. even though the Philadelphia Orchestra recorded it, the actors that you see on the screen are. Just from Is that so? From oh, I think they were fools. I don't think they were actors actually. I think they were some musicians from the area, but also like some animators. I that, mean that like, harpist that sat that's, there. that's to the right of that Dean's Taylor looked like as she could be, but she definitely looked very like she did a screen test or something like that. And they were well, like, All right. Um yeah, maybe it we'll, is. we should real quick mention Deems Taylor. I, I oh, we did yeah. not research him as much as Stokowski because he's not as interesting. But he was a radio personality at the time. His voice is, is definitely very radio. Exactly. He was the, <laughs> back then the Ryan Seacrest were all bald and aged and had tortoiseshell glasses. Yeah. That was the thing of the time. But he was um, he actually came up as a radio personality. He was a passionate classical music student. And it's funny because that little boogie woogie jam session they do, it ends, you know, kind of in it just sort of dissolves. And Deems Taylor looks a little bit like, All right, guys, let's stop with the hot jazz now. Um, he wasn't a jazz fan. In 1940, to be a jazz fan is still very specialized. But anyway, Deems Taylor um, was actually pretty pretty well respected at the time. This was this is of course like you know 15 years before rock and roll comes in and realigns everybody's perception, realigning the perception that music has to be very fancy and mm-hmm. very the thing of the elite. So he yeah. was known as the dean of American music, but he wasn't. And we can leave Deems Taylor there. And that's our intermission. Uh, my name is Deems Taylor, and it's my very pleasant duty to welcome you here. On behalf of Walt Disney, Leopold Stokowski, and all the other artists and musicians whose combined talents went into the creation of this new form of entertainment, Fantasia. Didn't you say someone else was recording the voice? Uh, yes. Okay, so... So it's like him in the video. Yeah, let's talk about Fantasia's fate. So because it was such a flop, and it's so interesting that Disney... I mean, I don't. You don't hear a lot of tale about Disney going into ruin. So obviously, there was some kind of some kind of bank there that Roy had put. But um, yeah. <laughs> they reissued it. Reissued. They reissued it. And um, by the way, I'm not drinking a French 75, but I'm drinking a martini. 
because I'm, well, I'm rolling with it. You know, I got to do it. That's true. I'm putting my pinky out. I'm doing the whole thing. Anyway, Fantasia was re-released in 1942 to try to get some hot Fantasia money. Mm-hmm. But, in 1942 is a crazy year. You know that, that it was it, like, people were banned from making records in 1942 because that. of the war effort. Yeah. Oh, to save things? Crazy. The, the big union boss was a big part. Of, like, oh, it was wow. a whole thing. This is a really fascinating time. Although the music of the time is very sanitized. But um, they 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 had to edit it down because it's a long movie. It's two hours and six in its current incarnation. It was about that at the time. Walt was like, I can't edit it. It's my Excuse baby. Mm-hmm. Somebody else do it. Yeah. Somebody cut it down to 80 minutes. I don't know what they cut. Um, it's more than just the deleted scenes, which we should also mention before the end wait, of it. Wait, but anyway, but, but wait, the one we watched was two hours. It was two hours, yeah. It so was what? restored. Well, I'll, t- oh, I'll tell restored. you what happened. Yeah. Okay. So they put it on a double bill with a Lucille Ball drama. <laughs> yeah, I know. Blowing your mind. This what? is 1942. Oh my god. So as well before Lucy takes That's over a the roost. Long time in the movie theater. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I mean, so so it came out. It still wasn't very popular, and in the process, they lost. They didn't lose footage. They reconstructed footage, but they lost the audio track for Deems Taylor's MC. Narration. Yeah, so they couldn't find it. So they got a voice artist in the mid-80s named Corey Burton. He's got a lot of IMDb credits, but he's not famous for anything. And I'll tell you, you can't tell. He's got that dialect down to a T. Oh, I don't know what Deems Taylor sounds like. I don't know what he sounds like either. But you can tell because... It's a very 40s, like... Dialect. Oh, yes, but you can tell because the mouth is not moving at the same time. Oh, that's time. true. It's a very bad dub. Dubbing's got to be so hard. I've never understood. When I was a kid, I was like, how do all the actors, in all animated movies, I was like, how do all the actors match it up so easily with the thing? Then I, then I thought, well, maybe they record the vocal tracks and then they animate two of them. But sometimes they don't, you know, no, when they yeah. put those, um, well, it doesn't matter when they put the anime films out here because no, the, the mouths are moving stylistically anyway. In any case, that was an interesting thing. Fantasia went a long time without a consistent reputation. Yeah. And it's only in the advent of, of the later home video and DVD and whatnot that people were inclined to restore it and reconstruct it mm-hmm. and try to get back to the original program. Well, and I think when they did the re not re-release, but I think when they made 2000. Oh, yeah. We'll get to eventually That was an well, occasion, yeah. That they kind of, there was a renaissance for that one. Mm-hmm. I like that one better. That's interesting. I, 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 I have skepticism about Steve Martin, so it'll be very interesting when we get to it. I don't. There you go. There's different schools of thought on that. This is perfect. all I need. Just this. <laughs> and these. Okay. Sorry. No, all that's right. classic. It's classic. It's worth um, a shout out. So, so we're back into the program. Yeah, we're back in. Beethoven's sixth, the pastoral symphony. And this this is the the controversial segment. It's so funny because it's just a couple frames of it. But you may may recall that civil rights happened nominally in the mid-60s and that we're still fighting the battles. Um, In 1940, uh, black people were still quite subjugated. Hattie McDaniel won her Oscar and still had to sit at a table in the corner of the room without anybody that she was with in the movie. So... There is the presence of a uh, young, they call them centaurettes in the thing, uh, who is tending to these, uh, these, to the white these ones. nymphs. Yeah, these, these and centaur nymphs. you can tell whenever it's zoomed in kind of close on one of the centaurettes, mm-hmm. that's a scene that they kind of took her out. Or they yeah. just kind of erased her when the carpet goes up for the 
um, Bacchus, which I actually thought was the theater god at first. I thought it was Dionysus. Oh, <laughs> which also <laughs> would have made sense. Yeah, it's, we'll he's also the, the god gods. Of theater, yeah, exactly. But, but um, she's supposed to be rolling it up, or another. That was convenient for them because like, it's like, oh well, magic is rolling it up. But we'll no, no, they edited out the help, oh, which is god. even more of an and insult. It's, it's available on YouTube. It's an awful caricature. Yeah, definitely styled in a way that's terribly offensive. And um, it's one thing to admit you made a mistake, and it's another thing to cover. Up that you no, I don't think mistake. they covered up that they made the mistake. I think they removed it because they realized it was right. I mean, what else could they do if they still want to show the movie, which is mostly a beautiful movie? But yeah, that that's but a, it just also like if you're going to take it out, just re-edit that or redraw that scene. Yeah, it was only it was only that small. You don't have to zoom. Most in of these restorations have to involve redrawing. I mean, they're so crisp and clear. Well, like on the YouTube one where I saw the comparison, the scene was bigger. Mm-hmm. But when we watched it in the movie, it was and then this yeah, could have been an close older cuts. Copy. Yeah, to, to take her out. I just um, know. It's um, a shame of a thing. It's funny because they did a documentary. Um, fellow's name is Robert Benchley. Gosh, I hope it's Robert Benchley. I'm getting it right. There's a documentary where he tours Disney Studios. And there's a little sequence in this documentary where the actor, he finds a little miniature of that particular <gasps> centaur. And he, like, steals it or something like that. It's oh like some God. bit with it. It's a wacky thing. Now, how do we feel about the segment, despite its racism, that's whitewashed for us? So, again, it shows <laughs> how much trouble they had drawing dudes. Because... <laughs> They look super unfinished. They look and ridiculous. They look doughy. Oh and gosh, I just remember there's this. boobs and butts everywhere. We have to bring up, yeah. There's this... so many boobs and butts. The little fairies have them in that cracker suite. This is full of butts with the little Cupid babies. And Even then... from Snow White, it's odd because you don't necessarily notice in nature the ass crack. Oh my god! But the Disney animators love drawing it. And uh, in this particular sequence, it's a little strange. Now, nipples are nowhere to be found on yes. any gender of centaur, no. but they but there they're are definitely some not covered up by or, yeah, flowers, by hair, or by anything tasteful. So, so they're just there, but they're yeah, like you said, there's nothing. I guess it's like the same. So maybe that's why the guys like, are not defined. But anyway, they just look doughy. But they do, stupid. yeah, they look like blocks. Yeah, they I look stupid. You know, I, I gotta be honest, Justine. They I never still understood. don't draw men that well. They can't I don't understand draw men that, that principle. Why is that an animation thing? I mean, I'm not. No, I mean, I don't care because men are men are worse. So by rights, they no, should be harder to know, draw. But that's what. But we, well, we mentioned it in Snow White. How we they did have difficulty drawing the prince, and I'm bringing it up now. Like I did, I didn't understand. Like if you can draw one thing. Why can't you draw another thing? I can't draw anything, so I don't well, know. <laughs> you know, I remember them talking about all the different things that they use as models. And, like, we were talking about the volcanoes Maybe earlier. because of all the paint, they end up always looking too feminine. Well, speaking of, of paint, I remember they, they talked about pouring paint cans upside down. Oh, yeah, that was And then reversing the, them right to get the volcano, volcano eruption. Yeah, that's true. I forgot to... Why can't they just hire, like, a Johnny Weissmuller type? I mean, and, they, like, get, they get better. I mean, Eric is hot. Yeah. Aladdin's super hot. I'm trying to think of now when the first Disney movie with, like, a defined... I think... I mean, Prince. I think it's Cinderella. It's all, he's, it's he's pretty good looking. There's got to be something. Yeah, he's true. It's true. But he also has a sort of a... He's very... He's less involved in his movie than his father is. You know? True. And nothing of the Duke. And, and the Duke, Which are yeah. more interesting characters. But... Ah, it doesn't matter. I don't know. I mean, that's the thing. Who cares? At the end of the day, I don't need to see a bunch of beefcakes in my Disney movie. And I have I to just, admit, these centaurs are, are comely. But at the end of the day, it's a very well, strange... Well, yeah, why can't the centaurs be comely then? Exactly. So, then... This, so I guess that we, we've deduced there's sexism as well as racism in this sequence. Yeah. At the end of the day. There's yeah. these bathing centaur beauties and their focal point where they don't need to be. Mm-hmm. And then all the all the cupids. Which yeah, is just like, so it's, it's a weird much. little scene. Like, yeah, there's like it's the beginning of spring. It mm-hmm. feels like 
Um, everyone's getting paired up. Um, and the Cupid's babies are kind of in charge of making sure everyone looks pretty and it's, everyone is set yeah. up. Like, there's a scene where two of them are didn't look at each other or whatever. You've got the god of wine and his toga and his bulbous nose. And uh-huh. he's just rolling and then, around. And then, all the, and then they have a party goofy. the next day and it's yep. like they're just celebrating whatever. Um, and then Zeus is like, yeah, I'm going to throw some thunder at you and then go to sleep. I noticed that though, the coloring was different. The Zeus is actually very similar to the kind of geometric kind of style of the Hercules Zeus is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. It's very strange. It might be like a throwback. Maybe it, it is. But it is, a, it is a, a, you know, the word trippy could be applied to each and every one of these sequences. And it's not meant to directly tie it in with drugs. It's just like it, it, they're very impressionistic from plot to design. Yeah. And so... You know, if you're not in the mood for Fantasia at a sequence like this, you're like, all right, like, what is all this? You know, right. at the end of the day. Right. But but if you are, it's cute. It has its merits. It's all still beautiful. There's great precipitation. Mm-hmm. There's great flowers, yeah. petals, and stuff like that. And that's yes. all the controversy, everything, I think. Yeah. Naked butts, naked we, boobs. We don't need to talk much about Beethoven because everybody knows about Beethoven. He had nine yeah. symphonies, and that's one of the most famous ones. It's very beautiful. <laughs> Um, the next one is Dance of the Hours. And now, so this, this is by is- yeah, a, a composer named Poncielli that I know nothing about. Yeah, me That's another, like, late 19th century. It's a ballet. It's a comic ballet. It is my favorite sequence okay, we're in gonna the do whole that now. movie. I thought we were going to do it at the end. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this since coming up. Well, what, what's your favorite? No, the same. Yeah. Well, there you go. Right on time. Um you're yeah. on time, well, you're all I mean, right. And I do, like I said, I do like that little snowflake bit with Nutcracker Sweet, but I think Dance of the Hours is my favorite. So it starts with four sections and it's a comic ballet. It's the morning, the afternoon, uh, evening, and then night. Mm-hmm. Kind of is how it's separated. And it's just it's just good it fun. It takes place, it's like as if it's a stage, but it's also not because it doesn't need to be. Yeah, it's like this, a, like, a Greek, these Roman columns or Greek Roman. columns or whatever they are. Yeah, we can't tell the difference. I'm not a columnist. No, of course, <laughs> we're not columnists. But um, it's in the middle, you have what? You have the hippos. Sure. Well, the one hippo, so the single well, hippo. It starts with the ostrich. It starts with the ostriches, that's right. Yes, the, it, the cast. It's ostriches, a single hippo, some elephants. That sounds like some other hippos that kind of get her ready, but then there's the main hippo. Elephants, and then, yeah, alligators. What I love about this sequence is how beautifully weird it is. Like, where is the logic... In combining these animal, in, in these animals, and ca- in casting in these particular roles. Well, okay, let's think about that. The ostriches have long legs, and okay, yes. Typically, ballet dancers have longer features, longer necks, longer right. arms. I nailed that one. So right. that one kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, the hippo is just funny. That's that the it's thing. A hippo being that a is a genius idea to and think that that wasn't come up with prior to Fantasia is a testament yeah. to Fantasia. Well, and and the know, elephants just take that to the next and level. And she's very graceful. Yeah. She's a graceful hippo. Yeah, the elephants are just kind of funny and playing with bubbles with the trunks, so that was kind of... It's a Dumbo foreshadowing. It is, maybe. So maybe they're practicing their Dumbo. You know how, <laughs> well, you know how he likes to practice? Well, Walt Wheatley drew his characters... I guess all great animators do this, but who's the original great animator? Walt Disney. Walt drew his characters in a very stylized way where their features reflect their personality. Yeah. So the choice of a crocodile alligator. with this kind of, it's alligator. <laughs> very important distinction. And when we get into like gharials and the other stuff, then it's crazy. But um, 
you know, dead faces and these very these long noses and these pointy teeth. And uh-huh. it's, uh, it is a great representation of like an adversarial presence. But the main alligator, mm-hmm. he seems... He seems to generally Oh, yeah, they have misgivings. That's right. And that's that's moving, too. Yeah, it's just... That a... hippo is great. And plus, honest, this is where we danced. Yes, We danced that's around right. during this sequence. That's right. It was we just, we woke it. us up. It was fun. It was inspiring. Yeah. Those ostriches, they made us think, we could do this, too. Yeah, and we and did it was beautifully. It. I love the hippo going to sleep on the couch and pulling down her little tutu. Oh, yeah. She does like, twice, and it goes right back up. Right back up. And I it's know. just that, sort it's of that, cute. like, propriety thing. It's so great. Um so this sequence, the action, it's funny. It's funny in concept and mm-hmm. execution. What I love most about the sequence, though, is that it's like the weirdness of the setting. It's like, yeah. where are we? <laughs> and then it collapses. It's like a dream. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's well, very inspired. I like it a lot. It's probably better than the original piece alone. I'm going to go back and watch that Sorry, Poncielli, whoever you are. So the last sequence oh, is, man. oh, the most out there, really, in its way. Crazy. It's called Night on Bald Mountain Yes, by, by Mussorgsky, one of the you. big five Russian composers. I think Tchaikovsky was one of them, but Mussorgsky was one of the big ones. With Rimsky-Korsakov, famous for Flight of the Bumblebee. Boy, that's a missed opportunity, isn't it? Not doing Flight of the Bumblebee for this one. I know. And then it segues into Ave Maria, mm. extraordinarily famous melody uh, that Schubert uh, penned and you know Ave Maria is and just... the only vocals yeah the there's movie. a choir now choirs become very big um, in, so in this honestly yeah, this one always scared me as yes. a kid um, I think all of us that have I still I kind of also didn't it. watch this one because I was getting ready and I was like I don't want to you always remember the big guy the big black Char- guy Charnab- Chernobog? Chernobog. Chernobog. It's right there. I yeah. Chernobog. The, the demons and stuff throughout are like really freaky yeah, too. Yeah, it's really freaky. There's like scary. pigs and goats dancing. It's it's, it's quite intense. literally satanic. It's intense. Um, so you told me the model for Chernobog. Oh, yes. Um, guess who? Uh, Bella Lugosi. Dracula and uh, memorably portrayed by the late Martin Landau and Ed Wood with uh, Johnny Depp. Yes, yes, yes. But anyway, Bella Lugosi, um, who was in more than just Dracula, he was like the next, the second to Boris Karloff in like the big studio the monster movies. The first, I think. He was like, oh, I'm we, saying he was we like, can debate. he was like, we can I debate mean, who was better. <laughs> so this sequence. Anyway, yeah, he models him. And so yeah. once, once seeing that, his dramatic wing movement. Kind oh, of, yeah. That's right. That You're right. It's probably the scariest movie he's ever been in. It's certainly well. I'm, I, I would imagine <laughs> it's the scare. It's the scariest thing ever to come out. It's scarier than Snow White's scary adventures is, or whatever it's yeah, called. It it's uh, boy, if they made a ride of this. Kids would have like it's, died of shock oh in God, 1954. It's, it's scarier than any any Pleasure Island thing and turning into donkeys in Pinocchio. Like, but it's, it's also where the scary. impressionism, the beautiful artistic impressionism of the first segment, sort of resurfaces, like. Yes. The imagery in this sequence is bananas. It is, it is magnificent. Mm-hmm. And it's all this dark color. And then it gives way when you have... Oh, well, this was the interesting thing. We learned about how they filmed that last sequence. <gasps> yes. So when they're doing Ave Maria, it's it's no there's no cut. It's mm-hmm. a continuous line. And they laid it all out on the floor of the studio and mm-hmm. just walked the these camera monks over. monks with lights. Yeah. Um, I kind of always pictured it Halloween and then All Souls Day. Hmm. Well, tell me about All Souls Day. So also, day you've seen Coco. Yes, it's kind of related ish to that. That's okay. kind of like where 
All Hallows Eve is the, the crazy night. Mm-hmm. And then All Souls Day, or All Saints Day and All Souls Day are kind of like where everyone like like comes a, back to Earth or something. Right. Kind of like Dia de los. Yeah. It could also have been the the Saturday between Good Friday and Easter Sunday and then maybe Sunday. So. I don't know. It just has, uh, maybe, it's, maybe I'm just thinking religious connotations because of Ave Maria and they go to a church. Well, I mean, it's connotations. It's right out there. It's an extraordinary. We had talked in the last two episodes about the religiosity, the weird religiosity. Yeah. So far. The praying, even if it's not necessarily to a particular deity, Mm -hmm. the praying in these movies. Now, we're in 1940, and we're in the war, and you know what the war does to America for seven years. Yeah, and so, I don't know. But it's inspiring in a way that is universal. Because even if it's monks going up, I mean, that's a that's an archaic and and, um, atmospheric and kind of very strange image, all those hooded monks with their lights. And it's so beautiful. And the music, Ave Maria, is known as one of like the most beautiful melodies ever yeah. composed. It's just calming. So yeah, so it's it's. I would say that may be the sequence that succeeds the most in terms of using its music for yeah. you know an, an effect accompanied to a story the that makes sense too it's true it's very straightforward a bunch of evil happens and then here come the monks <laughs> there's a pop song that oh, needs to be written here come the monks so that was but a anyway, that, it always kind of it, to me reminded me of either like halloween or possibly easter i, yeah. I don't know but why. it has that beautifully spooky like kind of like like element to it yeah, like it beautifully does. spooky you yeah know, it does it's just so so that's fantasia and you've Ooh. been through it too probably if you're listening to something like this and uh well let's see so at the end of it what in the world do we make of the whole product i don't know it is a movie that demands attention yes in a way where a lot of disney movies elicit attention right you know so it's pretty i mean i liked it a lot as a kid if you would ask me at like seven i probably would have sent a different answer and been like who are you uh-huh i think i'm going to rate oh wait this. wait 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 what are we what are we rating it in again justine it's uh go ahead it's like uh yes we are we are going to rate I can't it remember in, if it's something wittier I'm in sorry. unsettlingly animate broomsticks sure so. in honor of the sorcerer's apprentice yes yeah. And Yen Sid and Mickey. Yen Sid. Mm-hmm. Um, see, it's hard because there's sequences that I liked a lot. Mm-hmm. Dance of the Hours. That I think I would give Hippo It's like you hippo. almost got to average the sequences. Oh, two out of five broomsticks. Mm. And that pings me to say it because I really like Fantasmic. And I really li- I thought I liked this movie a lot. I was kind of hoping you would give it something that low because this is the beauty of it. You know, if we are just doing a podcast about Disney movies and we both have a certain affection for Disney. I know. If we're always giving them fours and fives, who cares? Exactly. So I think when we're watching it, at least when I watched it yesterday, I, didn't, I was not feeling it. Two out of five. Talking about it again... I really like the Nutcracker Suite, and I really like uh, Dance of the Hours. Uh, Social Presence is classic, but um, mm. not my favorite sequence, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, the other ones are boring. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a big chunk of the movie. It's only seven. So if you get, you know, one out of seven wrong, you're kind of yeah, done. Yeah, exactly. So uh, those are the three I appreciate from this, and that's why I gave it a two. That's I think that's fair. I think you're entitled to, to those two so. boomsticks. Um, I, I watched this ten years ago. 
and I was way more pretentious, if you can believe it, <laughs> 10 years ago. So I was like, oh my God, this is the greatest movie. I actually have a friend, though, who claims it's his favorite movie of all time. And I have to say, there's just something about an adult person saying Fantasia is their favorite movie of all time. And I'm like, uh, shout out Joey Danowitz. He won't mind me saying his name because he wants as much publicity as he can oh, get. hi. Yes, hi, Joey. Um, um, this is about your favorite movie. This is your favorite movie? With Kathy Lee and Hoda over we- here doing this. <laughs> <laughs> we have so many questions on why it's your favorite movie. Yes. In fact, we should have invited you as a guest, but you're too far away. You didn't even come to my wedding, sucker. Yeah. But although, in your defense, I did not invite you. Um, Not intentionally. Oh, God. This is awkward No, because he lives in Minnesota. We have time to discuss this. We still have running time. Everyone else, you can turn off. Joey. Hey, let's really quickly just say, it is hard to decide who you invite to your wedding. You only have so much money. You only have so much food and places. You got to pick and choose your friends, and it's hard. Because in the world of... in, In the Facebook age, you got friends everywhere. Especially you. Yay. We just went to... What are Justine's French restaurant. Oh, in Austin. Okay. Oh, it's great. Justine, my sister-in-law, Me. who is not co-hosting, the not the restaurant. Yes, I don't own a restaurant. Is, no, but one day, Justine is also notable for how easily, and I envy this so much, how easily she makes friends did with make, strangers. Did I make friends last night? Probably. Oh my god! I you know, you probably left with some business cards I don't even and remember. some numbers, and you, somebody probably cried on your shoulder. Yeah, uh, we did have quite a night, but um, I want you to tell them about uh, about Justine. Who's Justine? Oh, Bijou. Justine. Oh. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. Was if this is her Justine. favorite movie. It could be, but but this was a, this was a her. friend you made. Sure, yeah. In the Disney world. <laughs> yeah, so if you're nice to me and I have a conversation with you, I friend you on Facebook. I'm friends with a couple of cast members and ex-cast members. But we love um, Disneyland, Disney I world France. Also, yes, we love Epcot and Disney World in France. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, my name is uncommon, mm-hmm. and I you know appreciate people who pronounce it correctly, and the yes. French do. And there's another girl named Justine, and we've become kind of fast friends. So shout out to Justine. Uh, bonjour. Mm-hmm. Look, we, we shout out to Disney World in general. We're, inco- we're incorporating it in terms of how the rides tie into the movies. Mm-hmm. But I mean, look, Disney World is an impossible to cynicalize experience. Like it is a yeah. wonderful place to be. And my favorite thing is staying at that boardwalk resort and mm-hmm. walking right into Epcot, oh, yeah. going right into, right France, into France. A nice little that, baguette. That is sandwich an, with that a is my Fantasia. That yes. is my multicultural enamored experience exactly and i mean despite the fact that they need to incorporate more countries and they don't do justice to some of them of course you know people from the respective nations do um you know they are employed there usually and uh, i i mean i met some fantastic folks from what is your favorite morocco Me my too. favorite pavilion there well that's the thing there's there's a there's a waiter we should shout out to if we're doing this we got time um I a fella him. that the one time i went to the magnificent restaurant spice road table yeah and the the moroccan pavilion is is very well tended by the uh by the moroccan citizens that that, that come to work there Morocco's my favorite. and they and they care very much too about sort of and it's a it's a underrated it's the country. only one that's sponsored by the country ever all the other right. all the other pavilions are, are sponsored by corporations in that mm-hmm. country and um, that's like the sole african country represented and isn't morocco it? sent his like personal people architects and over so that they could design it just right mm-hmm. and it is a beautiful pavilion absolutely a wonderful experience and, and the folks there are very nice um but it, 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 it does, makes me want to wait and i wanted to go to morocco anyway. cast, i and the fact you know we live in a time where where friendliness between nations is back to its old being questioned 
is it was, yeah. and the whole thing is like, you know, we America first, or we whatnot, and and it, the, I hate the, it. I, of course, but it's a great experience to actually go to Disney World, go to all these these sort of these these setups of countries, and yeah. it's not. I mean, it's not stereotypical. It's not reductive. You are surrounded by people that are legitimately from those nations, mm-hmm. and and architecture and and culture and. Food and drink and all that stuff Woo. that represents it. So it's it's a wonderful thing. But there is a waiter that you guys always tell me about that Eunice. I miss the one night. Eunice. I love him. Eunice is the best waiter probably in Disney World. Oh, yeah. Which is a testament mm-hmm. to him as, you know, a person as well as a waiter, obviously. He's, it's just like, he's a magical, wonderful, beautiful human being. And all I've heard is just these legendary service experiences. He's amazing. But it's a great restaurant. It's beautiful on the inside. Oh, and, and you're sitting on the water. You get a great view of the fireworks show. Which is not do. the Phantasmic show. This no. is a different show. Which one is that then? That Illuminations. They do? Illuminations, that's um, right. Yeah, we're, we're not talking about Fantasia anymore. No, sure. No, no, <laughs> but I mean, you know, we have a little bit of time to fill with it. Because Fantasia, you know, in the spirit of Fantasia being a movie that doesn't Really settle on a particular plot or through line, right? So you know. we didn't settle on a particular plot or through no, exactly. Line in this Extra today. segments, you, know, you get more than I'm seven. I'm tripping today. over my mouth today, guys. It's I'm okay. sorry. But this is the you know this is the whole essence of Disney's Falls. By now, we appreciate if you stuck with us for three episodes. We we really like talking about these movies, we really discovering do. them together. We're all doing that together, and you know, it wouldn't be Disney's Follies if it wasn't a little bit loose. <laughs> learning a little, learning about all the process, about how passionate all these animators yeah. and Walt was. It were. totally throws Walt, Walt in a different perspective. Walt was what my favorite thing. Walt was. Walt was. Thank you. Walt was the my favorite thing that I heard in the whole featurette. Okay, was yeah, one of the old good. animators saying. Because, you know, we talked about how Pinocchio is like another gamble. He's like, he did Snow White. Mm-hmm. He won the box office. He yeah. won the celebrity, he won you know, the, the elites. So why then go, I'm going to make this big art project? Now, because he wanted to push. That's what Compared to Fantasia, Pinocchio is just another popcorn flick compared to it. Yes. In terms of the intentions. Yes. yes, yes, yes. And the one animator saying, I'm sad it was a flop because if Walt had succeeded... Think of the poets and the artists and like the writers and the other kinds of people, the the true luminaries of art, which in the early 20th century is still like laying the groundwork for what we're impressed by today, mm-hmm. um, who he would have invited into the fold of animation. Well, and and like I was saying, he kind of wanted this, if it had gone well, to be like updated every every year. Yeah. A segment would be you added in that. and yeah, taken right. out. And, right. you know, you, you might go in two or three years and it'd be a completely different experience. Yeah. And, and I think that's why they also kind of did Fantasia 2000. Right. Um, that we'll get to in 80 episodes it's, or so. Exactly. But, but it's um, so amazing that he's like, he's not even thinking in terms of the cinema anymore at all. No. He's like saying, we're going together for an experience. And I'm curious, <laughs> watching all these featurettes, like, you can kind of see, okay, I want to be the best at... Yeah. Uh, animation and so they work really hard in Snow White and then they take all the things that they learned and they make Pinocchio an even crisper cleaner movie in its animation style and then he's like okay I got animation in the bag now I want to add music and I want to make this an experience yeah. you can kind of tell that he was already kind of thinking about yeah. Disneyland What'll be interesting. Like, what's the ultimate way to control you all know? the aspects it's Disneyland and so I wonder if wow. that seed was planted with Fantasia wow you're, you're dead on 
That's an you epiphany, know? thinking about that. I mean, that you can't put the smells into a theater. Okay, well, let's just make my own freaking bubble right. and my own right. land. And right. Then, and because so he I never can, makes a movie like this again. I mean, I mean, they, when they go back, no, he never no, attempts something on this scale uh, again. No. You're right. Instead, he starts focusing on Those parks. parks, which are, I mean, groundbreaking yes. parks. And, and, the and even that, I mean, he's extension. always still learning. Like, when Disneyland wow. opened, he saw some of the kerfuffles on the opening day and kind of what he would change. He mm-hmm. needed... You know, so he said, I need more land. I need to make this kind of an own secluded area instead yeah. of right up to a highway. And now Disneyland is a little bit more claustrophobic, I feel like, than Walt Disney like, World. Because you're doing a park. You're, it's a constantly evolving experience. Yeah. And, and I guess kind of they tell. are honoring his intentions in that way. Yeah. That they're still so modifying I think, it for I think public him trying to, to show this movie in such a dramatic fashion was kind of planted the seeds for yeah. Disneyland. I don't know when he started thinking about Disneyland, but if this was released in 1940, 15 years That's to design and build, yeah. build a park, was this was probably that would be one on, of the right first on starts. time. Yeah, exactly. So I'm curious to see if that's mentioned in any other ne- next upcoming documentaries that like Walt was busy with this and yeah. the parks. Yeah. Which might make sense with looking at the next few movies we have. Definitely. Yeah. But, uh, uh, I have so a great you- respect for Fantasia. Um, and I do think that in the right frame of mind, a lot of the sequences come off. There's just that element of, okay, it's like that prestige thing. Where mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we're having a lofty experience. Occasionally that can be off-putting, and I think it deserves a little bit of demerit for that, but only slightly. So basically, I'm going to give it four and a half animate broomsticks. Wow. Yes. Now, I gave Pinocchio five, so it's a come down. But Fantasia is a great movie, what and it deserves to be appreciated for, for yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. I mean, it is it is still good, but I don't know. Yeah. I'm gushing here. That's one of those things, gushing like the, the buckets of, uh, you know, just over. I'll tell you, the, the, the future of my experience with these movies is I'm going to get a lot more critical. Now, let's real quick shout out to where we can find us online. Yes, if we're enjoying you can our find, fun here. Um, I think follow us or become a fan on mm-hmm. our Facebook page, Disney Follies, mm-hmm. on um, Instagram, Disney yeah. Follies. It's all very grassroots, so a little bit of support mm-hmm. we have. But we're all in this um, together. Any questions, emails, nice comments, disneysfollies at gmail.com. Important information. Again, if you send yes. in something that's a cool tidbit, we will share it on the next episode. Yeah. Um, Let us know if you want to say your names and stuff because we're, we're kind of getting yeah. a little bit. Or if you're one of those Disney experts that would contribute something, we'll have sit-ins, <gasps> yeah. you know, anytime we'll we can. Skype call so or something. We'll figure be it perfect. out. Oh, yeah. That's, the possibilities are endless these days. Mm-hmm. Radio is just like Fantasia. You can do anything with the format. That's true. That's so true. From, from us to you, uh, you know, may all your dreams come true. And thank you so much for tuning in uh come back next time for dumbo and till then Alrighty, bye bye It's Justine. Um, I wanted to add a quick update. First of all, sorry about that Fantasia rating. I normally like that movie. I don't know what it is. I think I have to be in the mood for that movie. Anyway, um, I'm currently looking through a book of cocktails, actually, that Ryan got me, called New York Cocktails by Amanda Schuster. And if I would have looked in through this before, we would have had much better cocktails for Fantasia, Dumbo, and Bambi. I've added little notes to the end of those as well, so you'll hear those whenever those come out. Um... But I just wanted to add this in if you wanted to kind of drink along with us or wanted a better cocktail. I mean, I love a French 75 as much as the next girl. And I thought the reasons we picked it were valid. Also, it was easy to make and I knew how to make one. But 
I found the perfect drink, you guys. And it is called the... Sorcière. Sorcière. Sorry, Justine, if I mispronounced that. But it's Sorcière in French, which... Sorcière. Sorcière. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, it obviously, because of the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Duh, that would have been awesome. So, this has a fourth ounce of cinnamon bark, which you use to make a one-to-one ratio of simple syrup with several cinnamon sticks. Sounds super easy, then you cool it and strain it. Um, a half ounce of fresh lime juice, a half ounce of aquavet, which I love, you can get in the Norway Pavilion. Ugh. Uh, three-fourths ounce Blanco tequila, and one ounce of Mastia liqueur, M-A-S-T-I-H-A liqueur. Huh. Um, you add all the ingredients into a mixing tin, shake with ice, and then it says, finally strain into a chalice or a coupe glass. Garnish with twine-bound twigs from a witch's broom. Ha, <laughs> ha, That would have been doubly perfect. Saucier. And then Witch's Broom with for source, uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice with Mickey. We really failed on this one. Um, and if I had all the ingredients now, I would make it. I'm not sure what that last one is, the Mustia. But um, the others sound fantastic. Anyway, just wanted to add this in if you're drinking along with us at home. Totally make this one or a French 75 whatever, or an apple juice, whatever your heart desires. Um, that's Justine. Ryan is not here. So I'm signing out, and I hope you have a magical day.